This episode of In the Wings includes mentions of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. There will be another content warning in the main body of the episode, just before the content in question. Hello and welcome to In the Wings, your look into the inside world of opera. I'm your host, Emily Deal Reader. In this podcast, we explore the huge and wonderful art form that is opera, and we talk to the people who make it their lives, both on and off stage. This podcast is brought to you by the Calgary Concert Opera Company. We just finished a series of episodes on their recent production of La Traviata by Giuseppe Verdi during which I had the chance to speak to the principals about everything from digging into their own characters to their wildest dreams about opera. Coming up today, I'll be sharing some of their insights with you about a subject most of us like to wax poetic about, our dreams and aspirations. Specifically, these are some clips from our interviews wherein I asked my interviewees what roles they'd love to play, conventional or otherwise. We'll hear from five singers today, Adam Brousseau, Ian Fenditis, Linda Faye Miller, Kathleen Morrison, and Dan Rowley. First up, we'll hear from Dan and Linda, discussing some of the roles they're looking forward to tackling and why. Then we'll hear from Ian about the challenges of portraying deeply flawed characters. And finally, we'll hear from Kathleen and Adam. Is there anyone that you haven't played yet that you'd like to? I think, you know, Rigoletto, I haven't, mm. but I basically, I've sang all the, all the songs. Sure, sure. Just <laughs> haven't got, haven't had a chance to be. Well, I just, so many people, it's funny, they don't really talk about the Duke as much as they talk about uh, mm. um, all the other characters. Yep. But, yeah, no, that's one of mine. But, it, you know, it's a dream that I know it's going to come true because, <laughs> because it's one of the ones I think I probably sang before I sang anything of Traviata. Right. Everybody, you know, nurses associations, when I did all the, they want all those are Ness and Dorm. I mean, I want to sing in, you know, Turandot. I mean, I've been in, I've been in Traviata and in smaller characters and uh, the same with uh, uh, Bohem. I was first younger uh, doing a small role and then and I got to the roof. So, mm. um, but I have many more. I mean, uh, Rigoletto is just... Uh, one observatory and mm. all of those, yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm kind of like older than some people are when mm. they, and it's a been it's a good thing because I've taken a lot of time with my voice. Um, but I have so much that I'm. Ready to say that I have so much to learn. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I've Don't we all? A lot <laughs> to learn. And like you say, like I am like comparing it to my life. Sure, sure. All these characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you don't. Well, well, what else you are you going to draw it from? I mean, you can make it up, but in opera, you've got a story, you've got a character mm-hmm. that Tuccini, very, they, they made, you know, mm-hmm. they decided on what to Well, do. and it's been done how many times, right? And so if you, if you don't want to, I don't think any of us want to put a cookie cutter character on the stage. No, right. There's got to be something that comes from in here. Totally. Absolutely. Given your, um, your faith, Cavaradossi? Oh, yeah. Definitely, That would yes. be a fun time? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to- Tosca. Yeah. Well, at an opera. I've seen it all. 
<laughs> Eluce, Eluce Valestela mm-hmm. sing all like that, sang that to death too, sure. which is so nice because it's, I've kind of been training to sing low as well as high as mm-hmm. a tenor, sure. so that uh, it kind of thicken your voice up when you sing it, but um, oh yeah. I mean, all those. That's yeah. <laughs> it's so. It's like well, if you mention it, and be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that one. Oh that, yeah, and yeah. that one. <laughs> is there anyone, anyone that you would dream of singing that's like you would never actually be able to? Someone, a, you know, different voice type, a, a female role even. But you know, if you if you no, ever had the chance. That's funny you said that because <laughs> Traviata, of course, my father. That the oh. the arias that he sings just oh my. I, I, every time it's Adam, right? Sings those, I'm like, dude, I want those. I want those. I want to sing that because it almost, <laughs> I almost feel like it's, it's better than Alfredo's aria. But I, mean, I won't concede that because that's. <laughs> but I, it's, it's apples and oranges, oh, right? Oh, I know. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I will, I will never disparage my own repertoire as a lyric soprano. I, I love what's on my plate. But man, I, I, I want to sing like Figaro, yeah. right? You know, those. There, there's everybody else has the grass is always greener on the other side. Totally. <laughs> and when you speak of Figaro, and I sing that, you know, I love the Figaro. I uh-huh. do that one actually as a, when I sing at different events because I kind of have a good low range. But uh, yeah, right. I mean, the 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 yari itself and any of those I mean it just makes me go jeez you know because it's really nice I mean coming to Traviata there's sometimes in opera the, the char- some of the characters are flake 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 Traviata there's no, no. everybody you know has to be right there and yeah. awesome um, that was something I talked about with Kathleen uh, when, when I interviewed with her um, the, the everyone in Verdi is a real human character. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, no matter how big or small the part, everyone is a fully human character. Maybe it's because everybody, yeah. you know, everybody says directors, oh, oh there are no small parts. <laughs> there are no, and I appreciate that. That's being kind to everybody. Mm-hmm. But in Traviata, there is no small It's really, really <laughs> true. <laughs> it's really, really true. Yeah. yeah. In any opera, you know, you need everybody, right? Otherwise... You do. The jigsaw puzzle isn't complete, but I, for some composers, it's especially true. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, you know the ladies that are singing, Linda and uh, Kathleen, both two different voices, mm-hmm. and and uh, both the passion and the drama that they bring. So when I think about you know the past and people who have sang that role or the scenes that I've done, you know this is far the the best singers that I've yeah. you know <laughs> sang with that uh, really bring something. Do you find any other composers particularly speak to you? Do you have a do you have a favorite per se, either a favorite to perform or even just somebody somebody who really touches you even if you're not on stage? Well, I had the great privilege of singing four last songs of Strauss uh, with the symphony here a couple of times and with the ballet it here and in Edmonton a couple of times and <sighs> that music is just beyond sublime I call it soprano dying go to heaven music <laughs> and interesting it's, it's the four last songs but the thing that's common with Strauss and Verdi is they know the voice so well. And so 
if you are if you're paying attention to the music and doing doing what they wrote it will it will give you a vocal leg up when you do that it's like oh that's why he does that oh okay that resets us for this oh oh wow he knew that just the these these composers who know knew the voice so very very well to write for it with such love and precision and and respect for the voice two part question first part who would you love to sing who would be in your wheelhouse so to speak second part if you could sing anybody anybody no limits i'd love to sing lucia and that is very much in my wheelhouse however i had a moment at the metropolitan opera some years ago where i was listening to aida and i thought That is not so much in my wheelhouse, as because I'm a, I'm a dramatic coloratura. You know, that's that's a dramatic lyric. Although, over this last few years, a lot of the body in the lyric part of my voice has has really expanded. But yeah, that would be the answer to that question. Cool, Lucia, Aida. You just heard from Dan Rowley and Linda Faye Miller talking about their dream roles. Next, I have a longer piece for you with Ian Funditis discussing the challenges of playing dark characters. Warning, this is the section of the episode which makes mention of sexual assault. If you'd like, I invite you to skip ahead about 11 minutes and rejoin us then. Is there is there anyone in particular that you think really embodies this who's good for this if you if you were going to pick an opera or a composer or whatever you're like okay this is this is my this is my goal as much as we just said we weren't going to talk about goals <laughs> this is my goal this is my ideal music to be working with yeah um well in terms of composers if i had to say that i felt like any of them came closest it would likely be maybe a tie between Richard Strauss and I hesitate to say Wagner because Wagner's tough but it's it's really there and Britain Britain manages to capture the inherent humanity whether it be good or bad of people again Peter Grimes comes to mind every time because it's about this fisherman who is depending on the way you want to interpret it is completely misjudged by his community or is judged correctly by his community. But whether or not you agree with what happens with him, he is completely torn down and destroyed by these people. And it is heartbreaking to watch. And the music, I mean, even just hearing the anger and the rage and the um, fear, really, in the chorus, which is this massive character, or group of characters, 
you can't help but just be completely moved and pity this poor guy who is just trying to eke out a living for himself and refuses to leave because it's his home. He shouldn't have to. Um, Strauss, especially in his art song, the, the four last songs, it always speaks to me, I think. It's, I, I wish I was a soprano so I could sing them, um, but I'll leave that to you. Um, oh, don't worry, there's plenty of pieces <laughs> in your repertoire. And I was like, oh, if only. Exactly. So we're um, even. <laughs> fair enough. Um, but it, the four last songs, it, it's, I think it is one of the most perfect expressions of somebody, again, at the end of their life, sort of feeling, you know, I don't owe anybody anything. I'm just going to write what I feel and what I feel is my truth about life and death. And it speaks so perfectly. It's serene. The acceptance of it is amazing. It's still heavy and uh, engrossing. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's true. There's, there's no denying it. If you've heard them, you know it. You feel it immediately when you listen to them. And I think that's what really speaks to me about it. Uh, Character-wise, though, and I've been very lucky in that I've gotten to play this role, um, Olin Blitch from Susanna. I was going to bring up Susanna. I, I figured As that... you were saying, as you're Peter Grimes, and I'm like, oh man, I feel the parallels in, yep. in that person who's just been torn down. And yeah. I love, I love Susanna for that. It is, it's so funny. Susanna is another one of those operas. And Floyd, I, Carlisle Floyd wrote... A damn near perfect opera because a lot of people it would be very easy to just go on and on with that music even Peter Grimes I feel like at times there's moments where I'm like okay I don't know necessarily that we need swallow chasing around the maids or the nieces it's it's funny sure and it's a break from everything else that's going on but I don't know that it was necessary to the drama of what was happening whereas Susanna it's 90 minutes of music that is not wasted there's it's so smartly composed, there's, uh, when we did it, me and our uh, accompanist Asher, uh, we were looking at it, it was like, there's so many light motifs. like he puts them in so smartly, you can tell he's, he's got some really great Wagnerian influences in there, and the grandness of the sound and everything, like, he very deliberately called it a musical drama. But Blitch is this character that he's human, he's very human. Yeah. And it's hard because you don't want to give him any humanity because that, to do that is almost to accept what he does and the way he hurts Susanna. And uh, I'm getting emotional talking about it, but this is one of those roles that just, I think especially now, it's so important to know because as much as we, it's easy to look at Blitch as being the bad guy in that opera. Yeah. And and it's very tempting it's very tempting to paint him in broad strokes. Yes. And to let Susanna be the complicated one. Yes. And while I completely agree that Susanna is a very deep character as well, and I We always want to paint our villains simply. Mm -hmm. Because then like you like you're saying, we don't have to recognize ourselves in them. Exactly. And I think that's what makes a boring villain most of the time is that they're oh, very they're very shallow they're just one dimensional they only want one thing something like that but Blitch is this he's this interesting character he's obviously you can tell he's done things that are wrong and you know that he's made bad choices but I really feel like the sort of chapter of his life where he comes to New Hope Valley and he interacts with Susanna 
I think there's enough clues in the score. I mean, Little Bat says at one point that Susanna seemed genuinely attracted to him, and that seems lovely. And then there's also the fact that he's poisoned by the people in the village that just tell him that she is not redeemable and that they have, obviously, they're blaming their own feelings of arousal and, like, sexual desire on her. And given that he's had little to no interaction with her up until that point, he's only in one scene at the beginning, and then he comes in in Act 2, Hellfire and Brimstone, all over the place. And he's preaching in the revival scene and everything. And he whips people up into a frenzy because there's that crowd mentality. But I think the thing that really speaks about Blitch, though, is that before he does the terrible thing that he does and takes advantage of Susanna or rapes Susanna, he sings this aria that says, I'm a lonely man. He bears his own soul to her and his own pain. And while I don't think what he does is right, the way he sees it, or the way that I sort of saw it when I was portraying him, was that he, in his own way, thinks that he's helping Susanna. And it's, it's not right. I, I, don't justify, I don't claim to say that that's okay, but there's a reason why he thinks that. And then when immediately after, which I think this is kind of the crux of it for Blitch as well, is that Floyd wouldn't have written his Repentance aria and wouldn't have made it come right after that one for a reason, or without a reason. And we can't look at Blitch as being just evil because if he was, he wouldn't have this moment where it's just him and God. He's literally alone in the church praying as much as he can for the safety of his soul because he realizes he was wrong. And he's not strong enough to point out to the people in the village that he has erred. He says that God has told him that Susanna is innocent and everything is fine. Whereas if he had maybe been humble enough or strong enough to say in that moment, I did something awful and I was wrong. He has the proof in front of him, but he can't, he can't break his own image in their mind without, uh, without taking his own power away, I guess. It's, it's really sad and it's a shame because he's, he's not a good person necessarily, but I don't think he's inherently a bad person. He's just weak. He's a weak human being and he's fallible. And he does something really awful and he pays for it. I mean, Sam comes and kills him pretty much right after, but just, it's one of those things that without that depth of character, you can't understand why the show was written. Susanna, she goes on an amazing journey and it's all there for her. You, know, the, you get Ain't It a Pretty Night and then Trees on the Mountain and she goes on this heart-rending journey, absolutely. But I almost feel that Blitch is the more interesting character in that show. And that may be biased because I love song and roll. It's very sort of suited to my voice type as a bass baritone. But... I just, I find, I think that was a big reason why something like uh, Infinity War, the Marvel movie, was so interesting this past year, because, or like this year, because Thanos, the villain, he has this justification. What he thinks he's doing is so right, and he's completely committed to that. But with Blitch, we see that zeal for the longest time, and then it crumbles away. And I think that speaks more to his humanity than anything, because... 
we're not invincible as humans. And I just, I don't know, I, I feel like he's a character worth pitying as opposed to mm. hating. And I think that Floyd sets Blitch and Susanna up and sets their journeys in parallel. Absolutely. Right, so that we see, we see the, the difference in their strength of character. Yeah, how do they react to the circumstances around them? Mm-hmm. They're both essentially, they're kind of two sides of the same coin in that sense. It's, mm-hmm. They're given the same impetus by the people around them, but Susanna handles it better and rises above it. Yeah. Blitch falls. And, and he is trampled hard. underneath it. Yeah. And that is, to me, it's hard to watch. And yeah. it was hard to portray. There were... I'm uh, sure. There were a bunch of times after we would work on that rape scene where I would literally just go out and be like, I need a minute to collect myself. Oh, yeah. Of it's course. It's obviously... Or it's not me, but you have to find it within yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to go there. It's yeah. hard to feel like you can understand why this person is there. But you have to. Otherwise, yeah. it's nowhere near as effective as it should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that, to me, is like the like zenith of getting to be a performer, of getting these characters that are just so much to pull apart and see why they work the way they do. You literally pull Blitch's head apart and see why the mechanics are all working the way he sees them. And it's hard, but it's worth it. Thanks for that, Ian. I've got two more clips for you to round out this episode. Here are Adam Brousseau and Kathleen Morrison to talk a little bit more about dream roles. What's a role that you dream of playing? Mm. Who do you want to be? All right, isn't that interesting too? Part A. Yeah, part A. Who do you want to play that's in your wheelhouse or may be in your wheelhouse plus 10 years, plus 20, you know, we never stop changing. Sure. Part B, if you could play anybody. <laughs> okay. So I think I think actually the answer might probably be the same, um, and it's Mephistopheles from Gounod. And so this this Faustian character is well, it's something that I love, and you know it, he's um, for sure he's like definitely like the suave, you know, sort of sexy thing, but he's intelligent and he's conniving and he's brutal. Um, but he has this element to him, which I've, you know, I I did this really cool production with the University of Calgary last fall, um, and I basically, I played a trickster in it, and in many ways I was sort of the eyes that saw the reality of, of the situation, um, and in my own way did eventually sort of expose things and, you know, cause a bit of tumult in the story, but I, I think this, this idea of the sort of um, yeah, observer that's, you know, wily enough to figure out the truth of a situation and then sort of, you know, play his game accordingly is fascinating. I think there's some, and there's quite a few of those characters in the operatic world, these sort of devilish creatures in the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be, that would be fun. Yeah, that and it's just, I mean, the costume and the production, the music, <laughs> etc., etc. you know, it's all... There's it's, nothing about it that wouldn't be fun. Absolutely. Right? Two-part question. First half, who is someone in your wheelhouse that you haven't sung yet that you really, really want to? Okay. Second half of the question, no rules. You can sing anybody. <laughs> who do you want to be on? I love that question. 
Okay, can I do that one first? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. sure. So if I could sing anybody, I would sing Figaro from from Le Nozze di Figaro. <laughs> because the he has the best music. He has the best music. And every time I see that opera, I think, man, I want to sing that. Non piandrai valpalori amorosi. Like, come on. So it would be Figaro, absolutely, 100%. I think I would probably, maybe for an experiment, want to be a tenor, just for a little bit, just to see, you know, to see, <laughs> to see if maybe it's something, so true. to see if something changes when, when you hit that, that nice high C in Nessun Dorma, or, you know, you're singing, you know, whatever, Rodolfo in, in Bohème or something. I think I would probably want to be a tenor just for a little bit. Um, and then the other one, I think I would sing men, which is so weird. But I would also probably want to sing something extreme, like a Boris Gudunov or something, just to feel that kind of rumbling around of that low bass. Because I live my life up in the stratosphere, so I think it would be nice to, to live in the basement for a little bit. <laughs> but it would be, I think, I think I would be happy if I had to trade spots with someone to sing Figaro, and probably the Barber Figaro too. Both would be fun, yeah. And then, so I'm kind of in an interesting position because all of a sudden I do have all these girls that I've wanted to sing that are now becoming sort of realities that I never thought were before. So, you know, diving into these, these Verdi heroines are, are fantastic and a really, really fun, fun, fun thing. But I think that my temperament is more suited to maybe, I think, eventually, definitely Lady Macbeth. She is, you know, such a badass and, sorry, <laughs> um, she, she's just someone that strikes me and just, I really want to dive into her. And the other one would probably be Tosca, just from the perspective that it's more of an acting chop thing. And she's much more of someone that, that I, I think I would just love to inhabit dramatically and have the music sort of come secondary. So those two would be ones that are, you know, down, down the pipeline maybe, hopefully. Um, coming up now, I think, you know, I'm just, I'm working on Desdemona from Otello and Abigail and it's great. It's all these new girls that I didn't even know were there. So it's kind of saying goodbye to, to my Constanzas and my, my Königins and, you know, my Gildas and my Rosinas and all of a sudden welcoming these women in to inhabit space that have a little bit more body, a little bit more core, a little bit more, they're more women than girls. And that's very exciting. Thanks, Adam and Kathleen. And with that, we've come to the end of this episode, exploring some of the dreams and aspirations opera singers have. Our next episode will have a similar format. We'll be talking about some experimental ideas for opera. Thanks for joining me backstage today on In the Wings. We'll be back in two weeks. Toy, toy, toy!
You've been listening to In the Wings, a production of the Calgary Concert Opera Company. I'm Emily Deal Reader, your host. If you liked the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you found us, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or any other streaming service. Your reviews keep us on the charts, which helps new listeners find us. You can also find us on Twitter, at InTheWingsPod, and you can also like our Facebook page, In The Wings Podcast. Comments? Questions? Drop us a line at InTheWingsPod at gmail.com. In the Wings is a production of the Calgary Concert Opera Company, produced, directed, written, and hosted by Emily Deal Reader in Calgary, Alberta. Special thanks to our guests this week: Dan Rowley, Linda Faye Miller, Ian Funditis, Adam Brousseau, and Kathleen Marson.